Alright, welcome back everybody to episode 17 of Turn-Based, the Coalition's RPG-centered podcast. I'm your host, David Jagno, Senior Editor at the Coalition, and I'm joined this time with three other people. Usually it's just me and one or two others, but we have three this time because we're moving up in the world. So first, my usual co-host, introduce yourself. Yeah, this is Gary A. Swaby. Good to be back. Alright, and... We also have someone that used to be on it pretty much all the time whenever we first started, so why don't you go ahead and say hi. Hi there, it's Asad Quadri. It's good to be back on the show. Yep, and we also have a new challenger that has arrived. Introduce Uh-oh. yourself. I'm Garrett Glass. I'm the noob of this podcast. And of the site, too. Your... Oh, yeah, and the site. Yeah, he's only been writing for the Coalition for, you know few weeks, but he's got a review, he's got some editorial, some news posts, he's, you know, he's, he's doing well, he's growing, he's a Padawan. Yeah, Appreciate he's that. one to watch. The force is strong in this one. <laughs> the midichlorians <laughs> are high. <laughs> and now after I said that, every Star Wars nerd is going to rage in the comments. <laughs> mm-hmm. Actually, it was this character that said this, it was this character with this lightsaber. That was a pretty good impersonation of yourself, bravo. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so first, as usual, we're going to talk about what we've been playing. Uh, for me, I'm going to save a lot of this for later because the games I've been playing are kind of featured in different segments of the show this week. Uh, but first of all, I have been playing Tomb Raider. I'm still playing it. I have not finished it because I keep... It seems like every time I start to actually play Tomb Raider more and get a little bit farther... I get a game to review, or, you know, something comes up, or I'm busy, and I just can't ever seem to find the right time to sit down and finish that game. I'm over halfway, which is good, and I'm liking it, but I don't know. I'm going to save complete judgment until I finish it, but I'm going to go ahead and go on record and say that I don't think it's as good as a lot of people say it is. Boom. I agree. All right, all right, so I'm not the only one. It's good, though. I like it. It's a good game. Um, Other stuff, I'm going to talk about more later, like uh, Neverwinter, Defiant, Soul Sacrifice. I've been playing those games. Um, Let's see. Besides that, I started up Terra a little bit because I'm doing that for the next free-to-play focus, but I haven't really dug too deep into it. And also, uh, Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky. I've been playing that because I bought it on PSP about a year ago for my Vita and then I kind of stopped playing it, but I re-downloaded it and kind of picking it back up. I'm about 15 hours in overall, and it's a good game. It's really fun, good JRPG, so I recommend that to anyone that needs a JRPG on their Vita. And yeah, so I guess you can go next, Gary. Um, I haven't played a lot. I've been really busy past week, but um, I played some Final Fantasy VIII on my PlayStation Vita because um, that's one of the Final Fantasy games that I never really got to play back in the day. So, you know, I've just been doing a bit of catch-up on my Final Fantasy and playing that a little bit, enjoying it so far. Um, I also did play a bit of Final Fantasy Thirteen, but I always play that. Um, and aside from that, nothing else really, but um, I do have Soul Sacrifice now. Um, I'm going to be reviewing the game, so look out for that review coming towards the end of the month. 
and yeah, I'm just looking forward to getting getting into that. I'm just trying to find time at the moment to play it because I really want to. I want my concentration level to be in top form once I do get a chance to sit down with it. Well, I've been going back into role playing. Well, sorry, not role playing. Real time strategy games much more since that was a that's a genre I really 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 love. I've been playing a lot of four X RTS games. Mainly stuff like Sins of a Solar Empire, Rebellion, Star Ruler, and the new one that's coming out, Star Drive, which I've tried the beta of. I think it's trying to mimic its earlier 4X RTS games like Masters of Orion, which was pretty much the grandfather of all 4X space RTS games. And what I feel about it, it is good. It is good. It is an expansive game where you're conquering the galaxy like any one of those games. Diplomacy's good. The combat's good. The graphics are good. One issue I have with it, the learning curve is much too steep. I mean, it's not an easy game to get into. You really need to sit down and study everything about it. A lot of things that are complicated about trade, diplomacy, searching for other galaxies. And uh, it's still a beta. So I'm sure they're going to be picking up on all this criticism and I'm sure they're going to be improving it when it's released. Anything else? There's also the... Um, I'm trying to get into Galactic Civilizations 2. I love that game and I'm glad I bought it again. And um, overall, I think I'm trying to rekindle my connection with RTS games since I've kind of neglected them. Ever, well, since I've been playing stuff less um, less boggling, if you know what I mean, on PS3. And I've been even sitting down playing Serious Sam as well, just in case I need to just uh, let loose and have some fun. But RTS... Oh yeah, thank, thanks for gifting me that game, by the way. No, no problem. No problem at all. Well, we could play that together sometime. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, um, I've been trying to rekindle my touch with RTS games because I really need to, because I have a collection of them now, and I really want to play each each one of them and see which one is my overall favorite. Because I do like Sins of a Solar Empire Rebellion, but there are other contenders to that throne too. You know, I'm not a big fan of RTS, but I have been interested in trying that game because of all the praise it got, and also because there's a very extensive Mass Effect mod. It mm-hmm. changes all of the ships to different Mass Effect themed uh, factions and stuff, and I yep. obviously want to try that. I've been oh, reading. That interesting. I have been following that mod on mod database. I mean, the stuff that the mod has come up with is just unbelievable, to be honest. It makes I me would... think a Mass Effect RTS would actually be a really good idea. Like, I didn't think about that, but there's. So many factions, there's already different types of ships and, you know, different types of abilities and stuff like that. The, the universe is already flushed out. Yeah, I keep thinking of the Halo RTS, and I think that could work for, um, well, I've never played it, but, yeah, I can see that happening from Mass Effect as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about the Halo RTS as well, and I was thinking... Um, Mass Effect deserves an RTS game much more than Halo did, in my personal opinion. It deserves anything more than Halo did, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I second that. 
<laughs> all right, so uh, what about you, Garrett? What all have you been playing? Um, I've been busy, but I've managed to play a couple of games. Um, the first one is uh, Final Fantasy V. Uh, like Gary, I'm kind of going over past Final Fantasies I missed, and I've kind of... S- and I see now why this one's sort of the underrated Final Fantasy, because I've just seriously been doing nothing but leveling up my jobs. And that is digitalized drugs right there. <laughs> what platform are you playing on? I'm actually playing on my phone right now. So it's got yeah. more... Um, it's got uh, a little bit of a rehaul in the graphics department, and it looks yeah. pretty good. I've seen some comparisons to the original game, and looks pretty good. And then I've also been playing this other game called Arc of the Ages, which is another phone game published by Xseed. And uh, this game's hilarious because I'm in the first dungeon. It's an action RPG, by the way. I'm in the first dungeon, I'm an hour and a half in, and I'm already level 60. Wow. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And as far as I know, I don't think I've even touched the surface of this game. You were telling me about it, how every combat encounter literally just involves going up to the enemy, scratching your screen until they die, rinse and repeat. Right, because there's not really any, like... It's not like, um... You, you you can swing from any way. It doesn't matter where your enemy is. He could be the equivalent of a football field away. As long as you're swiping the screen, he's dead. That's so terrible. <laughs> Sounds like there's hints of Diablo in that game. All uh, other kind, kind of dungeon crawlers like that. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, maybe and, like Etrian Odyssey or Legend of Grimrock, kind of like the first person. Hmm. Oh, what else were you going to say? Um, no, that that was it. Okay. Well, maybe on a future episode, we can all play some games together that we can actually talk about, because it seems like all of us have been playing totally different things. That's right. good to me. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, next is we're going to talk about some news topics. First is... On the site, I did a Q&A with um, one of the senior quest designers for The Witcher 3 over at CD Projekt Red. And, you know, I have not played The Witcher 2. I've followed it extensively. I've watched a lot of videos, read reviews, and I know a lot about it. And I have played the first game for about four or five hours, but it's kind of dated and I couldn't really get into it. But I really want to play it, too. I own it. I just haven't had the time to play it yet. And, yeah, so this Q&A that I did, it, um, you know, some of the answers were more detailed than I expected. Some of them were a lot briefer than I expected. Uh, That's kind of how these email Q&As go, like we talked about last time with Gary's Dragon Age 3 Q&A. You know, whenever you send an email list of questions, it's hard to really get what you want because you can't do follow-up. You can't, you know, ask them to elaborate or anything like that. Yeah. So it's a little frustrating, but, you know, it's good that they did get back to me. It took it took a little while, but, you know, you know they're hard at work on the game, so I can't really, you know, be upset or anything. I'm glad they got back to me. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems pretty much like what I expected for the most part. 
it seems like they're making this kind of like the definitive Witcher game, that if you never played any others but you want to play, you should play the third one. They said the learning yeah, that, curve... That's... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, that's a really good thing, because, you know, um, as I said before, um, I haven't beat the first game, so, you know, I don't want that to, um, you know, sort of mess up my experience if I do play the third one without, you know, beating the first two. Yeah, so one I'm of the real that. cool things is um, they said that, first of all, the kind of the plot points, the major plot elements from the first two games are mostly resolved by the time the third game starts. So you're not really going to feel like you're in the middle of a story and you don't know what's going on. And also is that... Um, I'm going to just read a quote here. We prepared a great intro cinematic, which will explain what's going on, but also the game itself will offer a smooth introduction to the game world. So it seems like they're really focusing on accessibility, because he also elaborates that the learning curve is going to be less steep, because he said the second game kind of was really hard to get into at first. So, I don't know, it seems like they're taking the right approach. So this would be good for someone like me who's never actually played a Witcher game, but has always shown some interest in it. Right, right. Yeah. I think the really interesting thing to think about is, you know, the only platform that has the first and second game is PC. The only platform that has access to only the second game is 360. And now the PS3 is going to be the only platform, or I mean the Sony is going to be the only platform with access to just the third game. So it's like they've slowly grown and grown to the different platforms. So if you're a Sony person and you don't have a gaming PC or a 360... It seems like they're doing a really good job of making it accessible so you can just jump right into the third game. Because you don't have the option of playing the other two. Yeah, I think that puts a lot of people off, though. Because um, I know one of my friends, for certain, like, whenever he sees a game and it's numbered, like, um, you know, uh, let, let's use Witcher as an example, Witcher 3, like, he'll he'll think automatically, oh, I haven't played the first two games, so I'm not going to get this game. Uh, he did that with Fallout, like when Fallout 3 came out, he was like, oh, I haven't even played the first two. So, you know, a lot of people don't actually understand that they can just jump into the new game without having played the the previous games. Yeah, that's a good point. So. I think it comes down to how a lot of games, if they're not part of a main, like, original storyline, then they just do subtitles. Like, for example, yeah. you know, like God of War... Uh, Ascension, you know, you yeah. see that and you're like, oh, a new God of War game, but it's not three or four. Okay, I'll just play this one. Or like Killzone Shadowfall, they didn't call it Killzone Four because it's going to launch a new system, and they don't want people to, people to feel like they have to play the other three. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting point. Maybe they should have just gone with The Witcher: The Wild Hunt because maybe more people would have been open to playing it. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, PS3 owners, they don't even have access to the previous two games, so it's, it might look a lot worse for them. So I, I kind of don't expect it to sell well on that platform. Okay, so onto the game itself. A lot has changed since The Witcher 1 and The Witcher 2 now, making it open more streamlined to people who haven't access to the game. And now they've talked about making it more open-end. Right, or open right. Or sandbox. I like mm-hmm. that idea, but I don't like everything about it. You see, the, why The Witcher 1 and The Witcher 2 were so great is because it was linear, it, guided, it was like a storybook. It guided you through this amazing story 
It's like you got to one part and you saw it was completely expansive. Each section that you would you were um, entering as Geralt, you would um, it would open up to you. Everything was op- open to you about the world of Witcher and the people around it. It already felt like a sandbox game because everything, every segment was really, really big. But the thing is, it was linear, and it it was openly linear, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like, I, I see what you're saying, and I think that's a good point. I, but I think that, you know, they realize that that's how the first two games were, and they're keeping that same kind of mentality, but they're just, like, opening it up even more. That's the thing they've got to be careful of, because yeah. if you open up too much, it kind of gets lost and kind of sporadic. It gets a like, little sporadic. Like the Elder Scrolls. Yes. Yeah, some some open-world games can be very, very overwhelming. Yeah. I think, no, it's not like Elder Scrolls where it's intentionally open-world, where it's really your imagination. I mean, you get this amazing epic story. It's that, excuse me, an epic setting that um, you're situated in in Elder Scrolls, but uh, you're literally free to do whatever you want. Your, your imagination's the limit. And then there's The Witcher 3, which has a story. It's story-driven based, but it gets... When it's sandbox, you can't really, you know, put your mind to it because your mind's on the story. And then... When it gets sandbox, it's over here, it's over there, it's over here. That's the same problem that Batman Arkham City had, as opposed to Arkham Asylum. I mean, yeah, Arkham City was better than Arkham Asylum, but the narrative, I don't think, was as strong because of right. its sandbox approach. I'm hoping yeah, they can I, avoid I that. I agree with you. I think it'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, this is their baby, though, so I don't think they're going to mess with it too much. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm, I, I'm, I am hyped for this game. I love the Witcher series, and this is going to be, this is going to be one of the RPGs to watch out for because the Witcher two, the Witcher games, are some of the finest role-playing games you will ever have. They're, they're the one of the, some of the finest RPGs to come out for a long, long time. It's right up there with Elder Scrolls, Baldur's Gate, and the rest. And. Uh, the Witcher Three. I'm, I'm not, I am not downing it for its changes. I'm just a little skeptical. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, which is expected. I mean, like you said, this is a really popular franchise that a lot of people love. So, anytime that you mess with what works, people get people can get a little skeptical. So we'll just have to wait and see how it turns out. Yeah, any more tidbits from the Q&A? On the note of about the open world, uh, the nice little quote that I liked that I pulled out for the title is he, he says, he said that the most important change is the open world, like we were just talking about. He says that at last it means that they can fully show what being a witcher, a monster hunter is all about. So it's seeming like they're using this as an opportunity to just give you more a more immersive world which if they can pull that off then it'll be perfect Mm. so so they're probably going to get really in depth with the whole um, alchemist stuff making potions and all that stuff 
Yeah, I I think I've read somewhere that that is still going to be in the game, but I don't I don't think they're making it any more or less prominent. Like I I don't think it's become the focus or anything like that. All right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Well, congrats on that Q and A. It was really good, man. Yeah. Well done. Man. Yeah, I was happy to get it. So maybe they will love Coalition now and send us all of their games all the time. <laughs> I hope so. Cyberpunk, please. Yeah, Cyberpunk. Oh, man. We talked about that on a previous episode, so I don't want to rehash it too much, but yeah, that game looks sick. It does. Have you seen that trailer, Garrett? Um, No, I have not. Okay, well, after this episode's over, I will link you. It's a CG trailer, but it is so well done, and we already know what they're capable of as a developer, so... Yeah, I'm... What's it called yeah. again? It's called Cyberpunk 2077. Okay. It's based on a tabletop RPG that was called, like, Cyberpunk 2020. And it's just, like, a RPG in a cyberpunk world. And this is, like, the video game version of it, so it it looks really good. I will definitely check that out. Uh, the next thing that we're going to talk about very briefly is, uh, as people know, THQ is no longer with us. They are gone. They died. They bankrupt. They Everything. Bye-bye. I'm so sad. Me too, man. I, I, I liked a lot of their games. But, you know, the games are going to live on. Uh, Saints Row 4 is already announced. You know, uh, Homefront had potential, so maybe Homefront 2 will be better. Metro is good. But most importantly to me, personally was the Darksiders series. And as people probably remember, those games were not picked up in the first auction, which continues to baffle my mind. Because I, I don't know anyone that's played both of those and said that they didn't like them. Did those games actually sell well, or how'd they do? The first game sold well enough to get a sequel. The second one didn't sell quite as well as they wanted. But... I mean, I kind of just blame that on the fact that THQ, you know, was having financial troubles. They couldn't afford to market it correctly and all that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, Darksiders 2 is a really, really good game. They, It's Zelda, but darker and with better combat and platforming. And loot and dungeon crawling. Mm, I it's, agree on that. Yeah, it's awesome. One thing I liked about that game was the... Well, of course, it was going to improve on the first one. I did not like the first one. I'll be honest. I didn't like it. I mean, I it had, was a great setting and I a great story. I had to force myself to finish it. I got very, very bored near the end, especially. But the story was really good. Yeah, and that, that was what the strong points about Darksiders. But they needed to up the gameplay. And I think they did that perfectly with Darksiders, too, with its kind of open-world approach. And it's much... Much more improved combat. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to just dive in and just do amazing combos with big-ass weapons and everything. One thing I will say, though, is that they made such an expansive open world, but they haven't really populated it much. There wasn't... It felt quite lonesome, to be honest, to be riding along. It felt peaceful to do it, but it was lonesome, too. And Are you I, talking about the second game? The second game, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair, but 
Also, I mean, from a gameplay standpoint, you're right, it feels a little, like, empty and lonesome. But at the same time, if you think about the setting, you know, obviously, like, when you're riding through hell, you're not going to find, like, a bustling metropolis. Mm, good point. I see your point. So, I mean, I think it represents the setting correctly, but you're right in terms of, like, gameplay in, in a video game, then there's some parts of the game that feel a little tedious. And there is a lot of backtracking, too which gets a little annoying. But uh, the point of what I was bringing up is that they have had their second auction. Uh, Darksiders was listed among the properties that were bidded on. Uh, they have not released the full results in terms of who actually picked it up, but Crytek um, did state that they were going to bid on the game, which is good because that's where the developers are now. So a lot of the people from Vigil work with, work at Crytek now. And so it's looking pretty promising that, you know, Darksiders is going to go back to his creators, which is awesome. Imagine how Darksiders yeah. 3 would look in the CryEngine 3. Oh, oh my <laughs> god. No, I was waiting for someone to say that. <laughs> yeah. And the crazy thing about it is whenever Darksiders didn't get picked up at auction... The game's executive, like, producer or lead designer or something, can't remember who it was, but he tweeted, um, I think something like, you know, it's a, it was something like, today we are no more, and mere months ago we are planning a, a four-player co-op Darksiders. Oh, what could have been? So maybe that's going to be a reality now, which would be so sick. I would be so happy. Yeah, I think that game would be really good as a co-op game. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Anyways, before I jizz myself anymore, we should move on. <laughs> so the next topic is something that Garrett wanted to talk about mostly. So why don't you go ahead and tell us the news that you wanted to talk about. Earthbound is coming to Wii U, apparently. Now I need to get a Wii U. <laughs> Not that that was the only uh, factor that was that I was considering. No, I've always wanted a Wii U. I just don't really have the money or time. But um, I'm mostly curious to see what happens uh, with Earthbound 2. I'm I'm mostly interested in seeing how this is going to affect. Uh, if Mother 3 will ever get released in the USA. I mean, the translation's already written. They can just edit a few words and say they did it. Or I bet even the guys who did the translation would gladly contribute their uh, translation to Nintendo. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I read an article today that literally said the people that translated Mother 3 were offering it to Nintendo free of charge. Oh, yeah. I mean, Earthbound doesn't have... Um, the highest sales numbers, but they have some of the most passionate fan base I've ever seen on the internet. Also, um, I think that like when the game originally came out, it might not have been the right time for that kind of game. Like I don't know if people really, you know, understood or appreciated the humor, but I mean nowadays with how like sarcastic everyone is and, you know, all the memes that go around and like, a comical RPG made from, like, a AAA development team would be really big, I think. 
Well, I actually saw some of the original marketing for Earthbound, and um, and some there's a school of thought that uh, that's one of the reasons why that Earthbound didn't do so well, because like on some of the pages, like because Earthbound, you know, it looks like Charlie Brown, but and it looks like something you might see on, or it might be something you might see on Nickelodeon, but it's got some rather adult themes and. In the marketing, they had pages where it just said, This game stinks! And, you know... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it was actually a scratch and sniff, which I guess is kind of cool, but I don't think they marketed the game correctly. And that might be one reason it didn't do so well. And, of course, it looks like um, Nintendo's always been cautious when presenting overly cautious when presenting Earthbound to the U.S. Yeah. Very true. I don't know, maybe it'll do, like, ridiculous numbers on the Wii U, and it'll just be like, okay, well, we have to release the sequel now. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good thing is, you know, they're basically just putting it up on a digital platform. I don't it's not going to take nearly as much work as it was to create the original game. They will make some profit. They probably won't. It's sad to say that they're still not going to see the success that, um, that mirrors the passionate fan base on the internet, but you know, they'll make a decent chunk of change off of it, but whether it'll be enough to bring say mother three to the U S that is yet to be seen. True story. Also, even the original um, Mother, which was translated, if I recall correctly, they finished the translations, they just decided not to bring it to the U.S. as well. Um, I forget exactly why, but I'd love to play that game as well. Yeah, Japan and America have some very odd relationships whenever bringing games and switching games over to the U.S. Because, like you said, the original Mother was an NES game that the U.S. has never seen. Then Mother 2 was a Super Nintendo game that was translated and called Earthbound. And now Mother 3, the U.S. has never seen, but people want it and call it Earthbound 2. When it's really the third game, it's so confusing. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't something like that happen with Final Fantasy as well? Yeah, pretty much the exact same thing. They admitted 2, 3, and 5, if I recall correctly. Yeah, something like that. And they were called, like, 1, 2, and 3. And then now, you know, nowadays, since Final Fantasy is hugely successful, and they brought all the games over to the U.S., it's so confusing. Because, like, if you were to go into a game shop and find, like, old Super Nintendo games or NES games, you know, you would see it. You would see a Super Nintendo cartridge called, like, Final Fantasy 2. But it wouldn't be Final Fantasy 2. It was actually like 3 or 4. So, yeah. Funny stuff. Well, let's just hope that... Oh, go on. Let's just hope that this game gets the recognition it finally deserves. Because I'm sure... Because Earthbound, it wasn't fair the way it was was, uh, promoted in the West. It had some great ideas when it comes to role-playing games. I mean, you could see that the character was a kid and uh, they dismiss it as some sort of child's game. 
but really, it's actually quite deep and quite immersive. And uh, it was basically if Charlie Brown met the essence of evil. <laughs> <laughs> See, one thing I think that might help save it in this re-release is just the popularity of Smash Bros. Like everyone recognizes Ness and Lucas and everything. So maybe just on that alone, people would be like, oh, Ness is like my favorite Smash Bros. character, so I have to download this. Mm. I'm not entirely sure about that, because that Super Smash Bros. was not the reason why I actually got into Earthbound. I was like, oh, who's this character? Oh, he's from Earthbound. Oh, I like playing as him, but I never really put much thought into that. It wasn't until I saw like a Let's Play that I actually got interested into Earthbound. So I don't know how much Super Smash Brothers contributes to Earthbound's popularity. Just maybe slight awareness for the character. Yeah. All right, so the next topic that I wanted to talk about, and this kind of transitions into our um, spotlight for this episode, is the Neverwinter MMO. It's going into open beta, which is very, very good. Um, you know, so first, just a little bit of background. I think I might have talked about it a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, so, as people may know, and you know, especially Assad knows that Neverwinter Nights was a very popular single-player RPG. It also had online multiplayer. It was the first Neverwinter Nights was like the first game to have persistent online world because people made those in servers. And then the first game was developed by Bioware. The second game was developed by Obsidian. And they're pretty legendary games. And they still have people that play both of those to this day. They still play online, still have servers. They play, you know, both are pretty old, especially the first one. And, you know, it's a very popular setting. Outside of the video game world and pen and paper D&D, Neverwinter is a huge setting as well. Um... So just a small history lesson, and then I'm going to move on. Um, Neverwinter is just the name of a city in the D&D universe, and it's particularly or specifically part of the Forgotten Realms area, which is also where Baldur's Gate is located, another game that or another city that had a popular game series made after it. So that's what Neverwinter is. It's a city. Um, the game takes place in other areas, but Neverwinter is like the central hub of the game, so that's why it's called that. And, yeah, so this is an MMO. Um, it's similar to Guild Wars and Dungeons & Dragons Online in the sense that it's not persistent worlds outside of the town, but instead, you know, like, the main towns are hubs where other players are, and you can group up and go into instances together. But if you're just out playing in the wilderness, you're probably not going to run into players because it's, like, instance areas. Um, the open beta opens up to everyone on April 30th. So that's, you know, a week and a couple days from the day that we're recording right now. Um, If you are a Hero of the North founder, which is one of the packs you can purchase, uh, you can start playing on April 25th. Uh, That's like the biggest pack that's $200. So if you're like really, really passionate about supporting the game, you can purchase that. Uh, This is a free-to-play game also. So, And then the Guardian of the Neverwinter founder pack is $60 and that also gives you head start access but not until the 27th but then it opens up to everyone on the 30th so I think you've played it a little bit haven't you Asad? I have yes so what are your what, thoughts on what that? what do I think of it now? I think anyone who's willing to go into Dungeons and Dragons 
the Forgotten Realms, Neverwinter itself. This is one of the games to do it. I say one of the games, not the game. I love Neverwinter Nights. I love Neverwinter Nights too. And Neverwinter. Wow, I think it kind of it opens up the Forgotten Realms. It gives, it opens up the city of Neverwinter, and you're actually going in there and and affecting what happens in that city. I'm talking about the immersion and the setting first. You are... Let's take Guild Wars, for example, okay? Right. Big, expansive city. Right. You Hello. are... Sorry about that. That's oh, fine. That's fine, yeah. Um, big, expansive world. You are affecting what goes on like a living, breathing, virtual world. Neverwinter is the same way. In Everwinter is the same, it's, and the combat is kind of, it's more action-orientated, still sticking to the rules of Dungeons and Dragons, which I like. And even though this is a game I highly recommend playing, I still recommend you go back and play the other two Neverwinter Nights games. They still hold their own, even to this day, they still stand. And all three games together will bring you into this wonderful world of Forgotten Realms and show you what the city of Neverwinter is like. So even with Neverwinter coming out, still go back and play the other two games. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been meaning to really get into this whole um, Dungeons and Dragons thing, especially, you know, after hearing David talk about it for so long. And also, um, Assad has been, you know, trying to get me to play Neverwinter Nights for the longest, but I just never got around to it. But How I really long? do. <laughs> it's been years, but I really do want to get into it, and um, I'll probably will use this beta as, you know, like my calling card to get into, you know, the whole Neverwinter world. So yeah, I can't wait for the open beta to begin. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a really good game. And uh, one other thing I want to touch on before we move on to the other MMOs that I just want to talk about is in the Head Start announcement that they made that I posted on the site, there's a really funny infographic. And um, what they did was they talked about all the money that you would save if you played Neverwinter a lot. Because it's a free-to-play game, first of all. So they say... Um, you know, you'll save money in gas because you'll be too busy to leave the house. <laughs> so they estimate you'll save about $2,000 uh, in gas. Uh, you'll save boatloads on entertainment because you won't want to do anything else. And that's about like $2,500. And uh, leave the hot computer on to keep you warm so you don't have to pay for electricity. <laughs> you know, you're like AC, so you save about $1,000 that way. And you can kick the habit of drinking and smoking because you'll you know be playing the game all the time. So you'll save money that way. <laughs> and then it says um, you don't have to spend your money partying in other countries in Dubai. You can just party in Neverwinter. And it says you'll save $25 million. So you'll save over $25 million in a year if you play Neverwinter. Neverwinter? Dubai. Neverwinter. Really? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it yeah. seems pretty well documented here. You know, that's 100% fact. So... Oh, I'm, I'm definitely playing them. There you go. I need to start saving. And next up, I wanted to touch on two other MMOs that are in the, you know, like, news and they're current right now. 
Uh, first is Defiance. I have my review for that up on the site. Mm-hmm. It's an MMO that is linked with a TV show that debuted this week on Sci-Fi, the channel Sci-Fi. And it's an MMO shooter hybrid. It, um, you know, if you were to just like see someone playing the game, you probably wouldn't even realize it's an MMO. Because, you know, it's like third-person shooting mechanics. You can crouch, you can dodge roll, you can hide behind cover, all that kind of stuff. But it's an MMORPG at its heart. So you level up, you have different gear, you have different abilities. There's stat trees, there's, you know, PvP, there's stuff like that. So it's an MMORPG and shooter mixed together. Um, on the site, I reviewed it. I'm not going to tell you what my score is because you have to go see to find out. But it's not a bad game. It just isn't that great either. It's incredibly average as far as the mechanics and execution go. But I will say, if you have only console and you want to play an MMO, that you could do a lot worse than Defiance. It's pretty good for that, like if you have a console. Because there's not many MMOs on console. There's not very many MMO shooters in general. And I think Defiance would serve what you would want if you have a 360 or PS3. And it's not, there's no subscription either. It's just buy to play. So you buy the game, then you're good to go. And yeah, so I think, you know, it's, it's good for that. But if you have PC, there are so many other options that are free that I would, that you should play instead if you have a PC. Like Planet Side 2 is better than this game in every way. And there's, you know, tons of other options as well. So that's my thoughts on Defiance. Has have anyone else played it or seen the show? I've no, I've read how it. does it oh. go go ahead. Oh. Uh, you first. Alright. Um well I was just gonna ask, like, have you seen the actual episode of the show? Because I've, I've heard Yeah, I've seen the debut episode. Do, how, does it how does it connect with the game? There's no indication yet. The like pilot episode was purely just, you know, exposition for the story. It mm. didn't reference anything in the game at all. Because another thing worth noting is that they take place in different areas of the country. Um, well, f- first of all, if you don't know, it's about an alien invasion. So there's that. Um, the show takes place in, uh, what's it called? St. Louis, Missouri. So the St. Louis Arch is there. And it's like the iconic, you know, center of the city. Then the game takes place in the San Francisco Bay Area. So they take place in different areas. And um, there are characters from the show in the game. So now that I've seen the show, I recognize some of the characters in the game. But I don't know how the game's going to influence the show yet. They haven't really been too specific on those details. But they are supposed to be linked, so I don't know. Do you think that maybe with the video game they went a little over their heads with how the the video game content and what the players do in the video game affects what the show may turn out to be? Because they promised a lot. They promised a lot, and I mean a lot, with Defiance. Big open-ended world connecting the sto- story of the video game to the, to the TV show, and it's the... Defiance video game is going to be so influential that it'll change the face of the TV show, but what it showed, what it presented to the public wasn't all that, to be honest. It sounded yeah. like, the way you described it, that it 
they kind of wanted to have the players make a big influence. But what I'm predicting is going to happen is they might, or I hope that they just read off like uh, certain casualties and certain battles of the game, and hopefully they'll actually they won't, but they'll read like the actual usernames. <laughs> As so characters, I so I can imagine some humor with that. That but, would be interesting to say the least. But I don't. I'm worried that it's not going to make as uh, substantial an impact as they make it out to be. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I I'm trying to like think of what they could possibly do. Like, maybe there will be a really big. Maybe it'll be kind of like Guild Wars Two, where there's like one-time big events, where like in the game, if players are able to prevent some invasion or you know win a battle, then you know there's a scene in the show where a main characters die that won't die or something. And that gets mentioned in the the show as some sort of backstory, right? Yeah, like maybe if characters in the game are successfully able to prevent this invasion in a certain area, then maybe a battle in the show that would have happened and would have killed somebody won't happen, maybe. But the problem with that is you can never be too sure of what the game did to influence the show if it just prevents something from happening. Like, removing content from the show doesn't really feel like a good addition. So... I don't know. Yeah, and plus, don't they, like, pre-make all these episodes ahead of time anyway, so, like... You would think, yeah. So, like, the thing in the game that influences the show would have to happen weeks in advance, if not months. So, yeah, (laughs) I don't know. Like, what if all of season one is already filmed? And everything in the game that happens over the next couple months just affects, like, the end of Season 2. Like, that would not be that amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That would feel kind of cheated. Yeah, but, I mean, the whole concept does intrigue me, though. And I think that, you know, um, tie-ins to MMOs and um, other platforms, like, such as TV, movies, and that sort of thing, could be something to explore for other companies in the future. It could be interesting. I agree. Should be interesting to see how it turns out. That also is kind of what made it difficult for me to review. Because not only is it an MMO, which is hard to review anyways, because those games are always updated and always change, but it's an MMO that's influenced by a TV show, and we haven't seen how those two are linked together. So, I don't know. I tried to make that clear in the review itself, but, you know, it was difficult, so. Should be interesting, nonetheless. Uh, You did a pretty good job, so. Aw, thanks. Pat yourself on the back, since I can't. Aw, you're so nice. (laughs) Anyways, the next game I wanted to talk about for this MMO spotlight is Darkfall Unholy Wars. Um, have you? Do you know anything about this game, Assad? Because I've told Gary and Garrett about it a little bit. Yeah, I know some things about it. It's a lot very more PvP-focused than most 
um, MMORPGs are, right? Oh, yeah. It's... Well, first of all, there was a game called Darkfall. It was an MMORPG, and it was made by the same company. It was, um, you know, like, full-on PvP. Everywhere you go was open game. You could die at any time. Um, every time you died, all of your gear was left on your body. Um, you would level up your skills by doing things. So it was kind of like, Ever or not EverQuest, I mean um, Elder Scrolls. So you would level up your abilities by performing those actions. Uh, there was, you know, player housing. There were cities that you could take over. There were sieges. There were, like, ship battles. There was mount combat. It was all real-time combat. Arrows had weight and physics. And so it was, it was a cool game. So this game, Unholy Wars, is... What they did was they took down the servers for the original and relaunched it as this... It takes place a few hundred years later, technically, but it has pretty much the same races. They just look a little different. Graphics are better, and some of the things in the game have been changed. Like now, um, like first of all, they actually added a tutorial, which is good, because the original game just like dropped you into the game and was like, here, you're naked, now go figure out what to do. <laughs> so this at least teaches you how to play the game. Then... There's, like, roles now that you can take on. So there's, like, a warrior role that you can take on that gives you, like, certain abilities. And you can switch your roles at any time. So there's, like, a warrior, skirmisher, elementalist, and primalist. And you can swap between them at any time. But you have to spend your, um, like, experience points to level up different abilities but in each role. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Those That's not the biggest change, really. And... Yeah, so it just launched this week. It finally came out of beta. And, yeah, so a lot of people have been talking about it. Do any oh, of you, you have any interest? Do you have the game? No, I don't. Oh. I've contacted them to see if I can get review access, but I, oh, right, I didn't right, buy yeah. it or anything, no. I remember you told me. Um, I mean, I'll... I'll wait and see if you get it, and then based on your opinion, you know, if it's good and worth getting, then I'll get it. Because I'm definitely open to trying more MMOs, especially after playing Guild Wars 2. What about you, Garrett? Um, yeah, I think I'm with Garrett. I'll probably wait for your review and try it out. And, because I'm... I haven't really played an MMO since um, Guild Wars. Been wanting to play Guild Wars 2, though, but haven't gotten around to it. I'll have to have you come over and make a character sometime. Alright. What about you? Yeah, I... Oh, sorry, sorry. No, continue. Well, I'd like to jump right into it. Well, when you guys do as well. Or maybe I'll give it a try myself sometime. It is interesting to look at and more PvP-focused um, gameplay means much much more epic-scale battles, uh, battles day in, day out. I'm looking at the uh, world map right now of the game. It's enormous. And if this is the battlefield that we're expecting to play on, then I'd like to be a part of it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean... So basically, to put it into perspective for you, Gary, 
Like, imagine the world versus world version of Guild Wars 2 multiplied right. by, I don't know, like maybe two or three as far as size goes. And that was the that was like the actual game. Like you could always attack other people. It was you know always war going on, stuff like that. And like you're split into separate factions and stuff, basically. I'm pretty sure there are factions. I could be wrong. I know the original game had factions. Um, yeah, I could be wrong on that, but I'm I'm pretty sure there are. Is it, like, mostly fending for yourself, or can you, like, actually join factions and guilds? Like, oh, is yeah, there a big emphasis on that? Very, very, very detailed guild system. Like, guilds can yeah. conquer cities, and if they're at war with another guild, like, that guild can't enter that city, and, you know, you can, like, siege stuff. There's, like, very in-depth guild warfare. You can have, like, your own fortresses. There's, you know, ship combat. Um, like all kinds of stuff. And what's like, how are you rewarded for, you know, taking over certain areas and stuff like that? Well, I haven't played it yet, so I can't be too sure, but oh, okay. I'm assuming it probably just has something to do with, you know, whatever areas you control. Maybe there's like certain types of resources or NPCs that you can get in that area or something like that. That's another thing is crafting plays a really big role. Because um, every creature you kill, every area you go to, you can um, get resources. So you can, like, skin the hides of all your enemies um, or, like, all the creatures in the game and craft your own weapons and stuff like that. It sounds good. You know what I want? Like, I want I want to play one MMO where, like, there's just a group of us that are dedicated to playing it, like, every week. Just spending, you know, at least a few hours on the game together like every week I want because I've never really had that type of MMO experience where you always play with a specific set of people so that's the type of experience I really want to get from an MMO so hopefully you know in one of these games we can do that someday yeah I had that for a while on Guild Wars 2 with the guild that I was in oh yeah we was in the but it didn't. It didn't last long. It didn't last long enough, in my opinion. Yeah, by the there was time, like a week. By there was the like time a week you played, two where we, yeah, it kind of died off. It's true. All right, so that concludes our spotlight for this week. Instead of doing a single game or franchise, we decided to just kind of run down the recent MMO releases. Um. Finally, we're going to do a quick upcoming segment. Uh, the only real RPG that's coming out anytime soon is Soul Sacrifice on the PlayStation Vita. And I played the demo of that game. I haven't finished the demo yet. It's a really long demo, so I recommend everyone check it out if you have a Vita. And all of the stuff you do in the demo carries over to the full game. Um, yeah, it's. I was expecting a semi-open world action RPG. But it's actually a lot different than that. It's really unique in the way that they tell the story in the game. Because you have this book that kind of talks to you. And there's stories and tales inside of the book that the book is you know narrates to you. And you read what happened to this other person. And you relive the events in the stories 
But the book is old, so there's some areas of the stories that's smudged out or missing or missing details. So you fill in those details by choosing what to do and how you design your character fills in details. So it's it's kind of cool because you play these like small instance stories, which are good because it's a handheld. So you get to play these like bit-sized quests that take you know just like 10, 15 minutes to play. And then there's narration about what that character did later and stuff like that in between. And you get to fill in the gaps with your choices. So it, it's a cool take on, you know, the genre. There, I can't really think of another game that presented a story like that before. I really like that yeah. smudged out detail. That's um, it's very cool. Yeah, definitely. What, what did you think of the combat system, though? Combat is slower than I would have liked. It, I don't know, it feels a little clunkier than I was expecting. Because what you do, yeah. well, for one thing, I like how customizable it is. Because after every quest, you get these items that you can equip to different slots. And each spell is a sacrifice, essentially. Where, you know, like, you could cast a spell that turns your arm into, like, a giant flame sword. You can only do that spell a certain amount of times before you lose that ability and the sacrifice is gone. And all of the attacks just feel really, really slow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. I was hoping it would be a little bit more fast-paced for combat. So that's that's kind of a frustrating thing about it. But the, the yeah, concept I actually, is cool. I had a little play around with it, you know, briefly um, when I first downloaded the game. And I wasn't a big fan of the combat, but um, I uh, because I was distracted at the time, I didn't really like read everything, um, like all of the instructions and stuff. So I thought maybe you know that was why I didn't like it as much. But um, yeah, hearing you say that probably makes me feel like I I was correct. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it has some elements that keep it, that they make it a little bit more engaging, like you can dodge roll, you can lock on targets, you can um, like some of your attacks you aim and, you know, some of them are a little bit faster, but I don't know, like the, every single thing you do in the game is tied to those sacrifice spells so there's not like just a general attack button you can press like you have to always queue up a spell and get ready to use it and some of the spells are really frustrating because they take away your life to use them. Mm. And some of them are just really slow. And I don't know. Maybe when you get farther in the game, you get some better spells and stuff. But I, I, I just feel like it would have been nice if there was combat normally and spells were just an addition instead of the entire system. Yeah. I'm going to spend some time with it after this podcast. And so, Garrett, you don't have a Vita, but I know that you want one. Yeah. And I spent some time last night persuading you to subscribe to PlayStation Plus. And it worked. It oh, worked. you did? No, not oh, yet. I'm okay. waiting for my uh, refund to get in. So, <laughs> But as soon as that happens, I will subscribe and hopefully play more games than I've played in a while. I know, it's worth it, man. Get so much stuff. And then I just gotta work on um procure uh getting a Vita, but 
I'm liking the Vita overall. I think, you know, that's a whole other discussion for another time. But I I don't regret my Vita purchase. I feel like I'm wasting the the power of you know the technology um, by playing old games. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel guilty for just playing old games on it. I I have a strange satisfaction of playing old games on portable consoles. Like I don't know why, but for some reason I can't go back to them on the console. But whenever I have it in the palm of my hand, I'm suddenly interested. It almost feels new again. Yeah, I completely agree. Because when I try to um, replay Final Fantasy, like the old Final Fantasy games on console, I just couldn't get into it. But having the Vita, it's like you can, you know, you can turn it on and play whenever you've got a spare moment, and just leave it on standby. You know, whenever you you have other things to do, it's just like so easy to pick up and play whenever you want. Yeah. Definitely love the option to quick save. Yeah. Yeah, the nice thing about the Vita as well, especially for RPGs, is first of all, the battery life is incredible on the Vita. Especially given how high quality the screen is, I'm blown away. Like, I haven't charged it in, I want to say, at least two or three days. And I've been playing it off and on all throughout that time, and my battery is just barely a sliver is gone. And whenever you're playing a game, if you just hit the PlayStation button, you can spin the game. And it's just like, you know, any other kind of, like, suspend thing in an emulator. And you suspend it, and then you can do other stuff on your Vita while the game's suspended, and the battery just, like, never runs out. It's really nice. The only downside is you can only have one game running at a time. So it would have been really cool if they allowed you to run multiple games at a time. But... You know, for RPGs especially, it's nice to be able to just suspend it and come back to it later. Alright, well, does anyone have anything else to add? No, not from me. Well, I take that to mean that we are done. So, keep an eye out for all the stuff we talked about, like our Soul Sacrifice review from Gary. Um, Probably going to write up some stuff about Neverwinter once it releases... If we get access to Darkfall, keep an eye out for that. Go read my review of Defiance. Blah, 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 blah. And, yeah. Thanks for listening.